Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. How are we going? You're good? Excellent. Thank you, Pastor Becky, for that word this morning for communion. It was amazing. Uh, my wife and I, my family, went to the Graceful State School Spring Fair yesterday, which is great. Lots of rides and food to eat that's bad for you. It's awesome. I also have a petting zoo. So there's little baby goats and stuff. And I was thinking to myself, I'm really glad we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because Gabby was petting a little pet goat. I don't think she would cope very well if we had to bring Bob the goat into church and then sacrifice it for our time of our sins. So I'm very glad that Jesus came on many, many levels in my life. So excellent. I want to turn to your Bibles or look on your app. And we're going to find the book of Matthew, chapter 22. Now, the first thing you notice is I said Matthew and not John. Okay? It's not, I know you're confused. Okay, I know you're confused, but we are looking at Matthew today. We're not abandoning John in any way, shape, or form. We're simply taking a sidestep in the book of Matthew, okay? A sidestep away from John, because the passage today actually occurs at a similar time as to where we are in John at the moment anyway, okay? Because a few weeks ago, Pastor Pavey spoke about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about some Greek travelers who were inquiring after Jesus, and then Pastor Ken spoke last week about uh, the finished up what was basically Jesus' public ministry in, uh, in Jerusalem before he went and taught his disciples. And so Matthew 22 actually occurs at a similar time to all of those things. Okay? Let me go over that for a second. Okay? And so today we're going to find in Matthew what is a parable. Okay? It's a parable. And it's a teaching by Jesus that occurs after the triumphal entry, after he clears the temple... He drives out the money lenders and, and, and the cha- people changing hands. He drives them out. And I think this parable will illustrate to us what we've been seeing in John, what Jesus has been teaching, what the message he's trying to convey to the people before he goes to the cross. And so once Jesus clears the temple, after he comes into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, he clears them out because they've turned God's house into a den of robbers. The Jewish leaders come to Jesus and they're like, but what authority can you do that? What authority can you come in and drive these people out, these moneylenders? What gives you that authority? And as we know, Jesus never answered the question directly, did he? No. Jesus always answered the question with another question, or he told a story. And in response to these leaders, Jesus tells them three parables, the third of which we're going to look at today. But I want to give you a recap of the first two parables he tells. In Matthew 21, the first parable is where Jesus talks of two sons. And the father of these two sons says to them, goes to the older son, I want you to go work in the vineyard today. And the older son says no. As a parent, I understand the concept of when you ask your children to do something, and they say no. I get that. I understand that. But this older son, he said no initially, but then he went and worked in the vineyard anyway. And then the father went to the second son, and he said, go work in the vineyard. And the second son, the younger son, said, yes, I will go. But then he didn't go and work in the vineyard. As a parent, I also know the concept of when you tell your parents, tell your kids to do something, and they say yes, and then they don't do it. I understand that as well. Okay? And then he said a second parable. So the first parable is about obedience. It's about repentance. The second parable 
is about a man who owns a vineyard and then he lends the vineyard to some farmers. And when it's time to go and get his share of what they have done, to go get his money, he sends his servants. And the farmers seize those servants and they beat some up and they kill some of them. And so the farmer sends some more servants and the same thing happens. And then the farmer, the man sends his son. And he says, they'll respect my son. And those farmers, they seize the son and they kill him. Of course, we know that is Jesus talking about what is going to happen to him. The son was sent and they're going to kill him. And that parable is about the consequences of those, of, for those who reject the son. And so then we come to the third parable, which is the one we're talking about today. Now, the week before our last Connect group, a couple of weeks ago now in Connect group, uh, we shared in that Connect group um, 1 Corinthians 14. And you would know 1 Corinthians 14 is about the proper use of tongues and prophecy in the church. It's also where Paul talks about women being silent in the church. Don't you love when you have a Bible study that talks about controversial passages? Isn't it wonderful? You know what's more wonderful? When your senior pastors are not there to discuss such verses. And I was so appreciative that Jim and Pavey were away that week that we had to discuss what is a very controversial piece of scripture. But we had a great discussion. Those in the category had a great discussion, some great questions. And it's important that we don't ignore those parts of God's word which are challenging because we have to understand them because it's these parts of scripture that can be misused if interpreted incorrectly. And so it got me thinking about difficult portions of scripture. And today is also what I would describe as a difficult portion of Scripture in Matthew 22. So we're going to read it together. Matthew 22, verse 1. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened calves have been killed. Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honour. Now go out into the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with, with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are in here without wedding clothes? The man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, Bind his hands and feet and throw him out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word that is living and active. We thank you for your word even when it is challenging and difficult to understand. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and open our hearts to receive. That you would teach us, speak to us, that you would help us to answer the questions we need to answer this morning and walk out of this place prepared and ready to live a life that glorifies your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Spoiler alert. 
The king in this story is God, if you didn't get that part. The son is Jesus, and the church, because the church is his bride, okay? So he's getting married, okay? So there's God, there's Jesus, and there's us, okay? In case, in case you missed that. But in this parable, the king is described in section as furious, as one who sends his army to destroy the town, a warmonger, one who punishes, a destroyer. And then he is one who throws a guest whom he has invited in out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a description we recognize as hell, eternal separation from God. And I think this image sits in stark contrast to the God we see lived through Jesus' life. Jesus is the one who fed 15,000 people. He walked on water. He, he described himself as the light of the world and the bread of life. He, he saved the woman caught in adultery. He healed the man born blind. It's a, a person who is a sustainer, not a destroyer. He is living water. He's the good shepherd, the very son of God who raised Lazarus from the dead and about whom people cheered. When he entered in Jerusalem, they cried, Hosanna, how to the king of Israel. And so there seems to be a discrepancy between the God we see in Jesus and the God Jesus describes. On the surface, I think this is a difficult portion of scripture to understand. So let's understand it. The first thing we're going to see today is that this story contains three invitations. Three invitations. In verse 3, we see that the servants were sent out to notify those who were invited. So there was a guest list. And then those who received their invitation were now being told that the time is right. So prior to this, an invitation has initially gone out, an initial invitation has gone out months in advance because that was the culture at the time. What they would do is that if this wedding was coming up, they would send out an invitation saying, in October, we're going to have a wedding, probably in the second week of October. There was no date, there was no time, there was no location. There was just, you need to block out this time because this is when we're wedding. Okay? And if you didn't come, it was an insult because you've had months to plan. Months to plan. And you just have to block out this time. Not knowing when or where, it'll just be you know, in the town that you live in. Okay? And it's going to be this time. And you didn't know when or where exactly. And so the invitation is sent out, and then servants go out and they tell the people who have been invited, now the time, come with me. And they follow the servant to the wedding banquet. That's how it worked. That was how it worked. So to accept this first invitation, the initial invitation, was a promise to attend. You promised to come. It's part of a social contract. You're obligated to attend. And refusing to come is an insult to the king. This first invitation in the parable is speaking about God reaching out to his people. The prophets in the Old Testament and all throughout the Old Testament in the scriptures, God tells his people a saviour is coming. A saviour is coming. The Messiah is coming. He is coming. All throughout the Old Testament, there are prophecies about Jesus. Genesis, Isaiah, Micah, Hosea, Daniel, Malachi, Zechariah, Psalms. All of those books contain prophecies about Jesus. Jesus. From the beginning of God's word, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And through all history then, 
with God's word written down and passed orally down from generation to generation, they would continue to speak these prophecies, continue to speak of the invitation for hundreds of years. In that 400 gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they would have read out Old Testament scriptures talking about the Messiah. So that initial invitation was repeated over and over and over and over again. But what is God's people? How do they respond? They ignore. They refuse. They don't respond to God's promise. So when Jesus comes, they do not recognize him. They didn't conceive of what God was doing all throughout history. And so when Jesus comes, they reject him. So the first invite is sent out by the prophets and the leaders and through all throughout God's word. And those who are invited, the guest list, God's chosen people, the Israelites, his chosen nation. They're the guest list. And so now we see the king's servants are being sent out again. They've been sent out to tell the banquet is ready. So the initial invitation went out. And now you go tell the people the time has come, right? Now you've got to come now because everything's ready now. The wedding is at hand. So God's people who have been invited, who've been waiting so long for the time to come, they've been told to come into the king's house and partake of the banquet. But how do they respond? They ignore these servants as well. They ignore the first invitation, and now they're ignoring God's servants, these messengers, because they're too focused on their work. One went to his farm, one went to his business. They were just too busy. They're too busy caught up with their everyday life. Well, some took these servants, these messages, and they mocked them, and then they killed them. These prophets, back in the Testament, they foretold of God's plan, and their voice was to be heard by those who would heed God's word, but they didn't. But now the king has sent more servants. God sent his messengers in John the Baptist to go out and proclaim. When he saw Jesus, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God. What happened to John the Baptist? He was beheaded. He was killed. They killed God's messenger. God's messenger. And then Jesus himself came. The Son of God came. The one whom they have prophesied about. He came. The fulfillment of prophecy. The fulfillment of law. The Son of the King. For whom the banquet has been prepared. What did they do to Jesus? They rejected him. They mocked him. And they crucified him. So this second invitation comes in the form of God announcing that the feast is ready. The time has come. But the guests, the chosen nation of Israel, under the leadership of its spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they paid no attention to John and they crucified the son. So Jesus and John the Baptist came with a second invitation. Again, to the nation of Israel, God's guest list, to the Jewish leaders who were meant to lead them. That was their job. But they rejected God's messengers. And it's at this stage in the parable that we see this difficult description of God for some of us. A king who is enraged. A king who's going to get his army and come and destroy the town and burn the town. The thing is, Jesus is speaking to an audience who understands him. The original audience knew what Jesus was talking about because they knew not to attend the king's wedding banquet was not only an insult, It was rebellion. They knew that. But not just to not attend the wedding. That's unthinkable. The people understand it. It's unthinkable not to go. 
but then to kill the messengers as well. The people listening to this parable would be like, I fully condone the king's actions here. I get it, king. Go kill those people. Okay, They get it. Different culture. You can't reject the invitation. The insult has been paid by the people, and the king is fully right to destroy them. But for us, it's an image of God that's hard to palate. For us living in the 21st century, it's difficult. This is not the God we see in his, in his word through Jesus in the Gospels, looking through the Gospel of John as we have been doing. The God who reconciles the world to himself. So what do we make of this part of the parable? What do we make of this? The thing is that Jesus is doing two things here. Jesus is giving his people a reminder and he's also giving them prophecy. Jesus talks of impending destruction of the town. And he says that because why? The people know what it's like to see Jerusalem destroyed. It would be in their history books. The prophet Amos wrote in chapter 2, verse 5, he wrote this, he read, There is a fire coming for Judah and Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, that prophecy was realized by Nebuchadnezzar II. He came and ransacked Jerusalem and destroyed it. The people knew what it was like. The stories passed down generation. They would have told of what happened when Nebuchadnezzar II came and burned the temple. So it's a reminder. Remember, this has happened before. Don't ignore this message. You know it's happened before. Jesus is trying to remind them. And he's also trying to warn them. He's trying to warn them regarding the impending destruction of Jerusalem, which is going to occur in 70 AD. The siege of Jerusalem is about to occur. Some would argue that Matthew was written later. I disagree. I think all the Gospels are written earlier than they think, as early as the 60s AD, up to 10 years before Jerusalem was ransacked, particularly the book of Matthew, which was written after Mark. Jesus is trying to warn them. The Roman Emperor Titus will end a four-year campaign against the Jewish uprising, and in 70 AD, he will ransack Jerusalem. And he will burn the temple. Jesus has reminded them. This has happened before. You need to pay attention. And he's warning them. This is going to happen. You need to prepare yourselves. God is trying to warn them of what's coming. If they reject God and they turn away from him, Jerusalem will fall once again. It's happening. You need to get yourself ready. So Jesus gives us this picture of a God who has tried to gather his people. He's invited them in to believe and follow his ways. But they've gone their own way. They rejected the voice of the prophets. They ignored their words as they rung out through history in the temple for years and years. And now they're slaying God's very own son. He went to tell them simply that the feast is ready and the time has come. The food is prepared for you. Come and dine with your God. So now there's a third invitation. Those selected by God, his people, the nation of Israel, who are meant to be the guests at the celebration, he has deemed them unworthy. You are no longer worthy to come. There is food ready. There are places at the table, empty chairs. This celebration needs an audience. It needs people to celebrate. And so now more servants are sent. But this time, not to the unworthy guests. They're sent to the street corners, to the highways, to the alleyways. Jesus said, Invite anyone you see, everyone, anyone you can. Gather them, good and bad alike. 
That's what Jesus says. Good and bad alike. Jesus says in Matthew 9, he says this, he's not come to those who think they are righteous, but those who already know they are sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So Jesus says, go out and find those good and bad alike. Anyone. Again, the prophets warned us. They told us this is going to happen. Hosea in chapter 6 told us. God was speaking to his people and he said, I desire that you show love and mercy, not sacrifice. Love and mercy, not sacrifice. That's what we see in Jesus. Go out and invite anyone you can. Because I'm going to sacrifice myself once and for all. Love and mercy. So God invites everyone in, regardless of who you are. You have been invited. And these guests, they came. They came from the streets, from the highways, from the alleyways. They came in. And the wedding hall was filled. God's chosen nation rejected his messengers. Jesus, they rejected Jesus and John the Baptist. So who did God send this time? Who was sent out this time? Us. The church. The church was sent out. Jesus' disciples, the early church, and then, of course, us. We are the ones who were sent out to the highways, to the alleyways, to the streets to find. We are the ones who have been sent into your family, into your workplace, into your social or business groups, into your neighborhood. You've been sent to extend the king's invitation to come. We are the ones. And who are we inviting? Everybody else. Everybody else. Everybody's invited, no matter who they are in your life. Whether you like them or not, good or bad, remember? You don't have to like them, but God's still inviting them anyway. Throughout history, followers of Jesus have invited those around them. If you believe in Jesus, if you accept him as your saviour, that's because someone invited you. Once upon a time, you were not in a right relationship with God. Yes? Correct? That's right. So someone invited you. God's invitation came to you and you accepted. And you've been gathered into God's family so we can sit at the table together. And so we are now sent out to do the same thing as we received it. So now the hall is filled. And as Jesus speaks, what do we expect to see? We expect to see a king overjoyed. Of course he's overjoyed. He's put this wonderful celebration on and now there's people sitting at tables. It's wonderful. Hall is filled and people are eating and there's much merriment. But there's something wrong. There's a man out of place. Verse 11 shows us the king noticed a man without wedding clothes. And he says, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man has no reply, no answer, no response. And it seems swiftly, almost without thought, that the king orders the man bound, hands and feet, and thrown outside into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That symbol of hell. What is going on? A man clearly invited by the king, by God, remember, is singled out simply because he lacks the appropriate attire? Of course he does. He didn't wake up this morning thinking he's going to go to a wedding today, did he? Of course not. Surely God knows he could only be wearing the clothes that he has. And what's the result? Exclusion. Thrown out into the darkness. Separated from God for all eternity. Is this the same God that just threw open the gates 
and shared his generosity, enter into the celebration, the open invitation. Is this the same God? Yes, it is the same God. The invitation was all to come, good and bad. But it is still a wedding. It is still a formal occasion. It is still an occasion where honour must be paid and respect must be shown. So what does the king do? He knows where the guests are from. He knows they're from the streets, the alleyways, the highways. And so what does he do? He gives them new clothes. He gives them wedding clothes to wear. How do I know this? Because the word of God tells me. Because God has done it before. In Zechariah, the prophet speaks in chapter 3. He speaks of the high priest called Yeshua. And he's on trial before the enemy, before Satan. And he's standing there on trial and Yeshua's wearing these dirty rags, it says. Chapter 3, verse 3. These dirty rags. And what does God do? He sends his angels and he gives Yeshua fine new clothes. He takes his dirty rags and gives him new clothes. That's what God does. And when the guests came to this wedding, that's what he would, the king would have done as well. He would have given them wedding clothes to wear to the feast. Because like any good king, he meets the needs of his people. And he ensures that they are properly dressed so they can avoid shame. They can avoid embarrassment. But then we have this man who somehow made it in and is still dressed improperly. Who's the man? Who is the man? He's the one who's been offered a change of clothes but refused to put it on. He refused to change. The man in this parable could be any single one of us who've accepted the invitation but refused to receive what was freely given to us. Who is the man? Those who accept grace but are not transformed by grace. The invitation sent out represents God's offer of grace, forgiveness for our sin, that which separates us from God. It's a free gift of salvation. And this grace is given to anyone and everyone. That's who he invited in. Grace given to cover us if we accept it and receive it. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6, it says that we are all impure. We are all infected with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. That's what Isaiah says. When we try to say, I've done all these things, aren't they good things? We try and show our righteous deeds. Before God, they are nothing but filthy rags. We live in a world where people think they can live however they want as long as they're not hurting anyone. It's okay as long as you don't hurt anyone. You can do whatever you want. Being a good person is defined by the good things that we do. Last week I read that Elon Musk, you know, the Tesla guy, he offered $6 billion. That is a lot of money. $6 billion to the World Food Program to end world hunger. But it was conditional. He would only give the $6 billion if they could prove they could end world hunger. Conditional. Is giving $6 billion to feed hungry people a good thing? Yes, of course it is. It's a wonderful thing. Conditional or not. Will it earn Elon Musk salvation? No. Will it earn him God's grace? No, it will not. Only by accepting his gift of grace through Jesus, being invited in, salvation, taking his offer of salvation, can we be saved. 
Can we enter into relationship with our Creator once again? The thing is, God's grace doesn't stop once we've accepted it. His grace is transformational. He takes us as we are, but He wants to shape us into the best we can be. He wants to take us and mold us into the very best, what He needs us to be, to bring glory to Him. Once again, it's Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 10. He, reads, he writes this. He says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for He has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom for his wedding, or a bride with her jewels. What a wonderful prophecy that Isaiah gave. God has given us the clothes of salvation, but he also drapes us in a robe of righteousness. It's not just about getting saved, it's about becoming a new creation. One who lives their life serving their king, serving their God, because he has invited us in. For the man who was improperly dressed, he appeared to accept the invitation. He said the right things at the door. He used the right words. But he had no intention of being transformed. No intention. Because he wasn't there to be saved. He was there to get a free feed. That's what he wanted. He wanted the food. Jesus spoke earlier in Matthew, in chapter 7. He said that many will come to him saying, We did these amazing things in your name. But Jesus replies to them, what? He says, get away from me. I never knew you. People who said the right things and did the right things and appeared on the surface to believe, but there's been no transformation. It's, it's not real. It's not genuine. They didn't really give their lives to Christ. All the pretense of saying you believe, that you joyously accept the invitation, that you've been saved, but there's no transformation still living exactly as you did before you were saved. You're still dressed in your rags because you haven't changed, because you haven't accepted the gift. You haven't humbled yourself to accept his new clothes. You haven't humbled yourself to accept Jesus as Lord. That's the man who was cast out because he just wanted his foot in the door so he could eat for free. But what I love about this story is that even in this moment, there's kindness. I said before, it appeared as if the king was swift, as he gave no thought. But that's not true. Because the king addresses the man as friend. He notices the man is out of place. He doesn't order him bound then, does he? He goes to him and says, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? He addresses the man as friend and then he gives him a chance to explain why he's there. We recognize the word friend. Because Jesus used the same word. When Jesus was in the garden and Judas led the Roman soldiers to arrest him, what does Jesus say to Judas? He says, friend, do what you came for. Friend. Even at the point of betrayal, Jesus still calls Judas friend. There's still opportunity here for Judas. Jesus still extends an invitation of friendliness, of kindness, of love. The king, too, in this parable, extends the same invitation. He offers the man a chance to explain, but the man says nothing. Even at the point of being caught out, an offer to repent, an offer to apologize, an offer to humble himself, to be once again given the opportunity to accept the cause of salvation, the man says nothing. Our God is a God of grace, of mercy and love and kindness. 
inviting everyone and then even offering them a chance after chance to receive salvation and be transformed by grace. What about those of us who have already taken the garment of salvation? What about us who have already accepted God's grace and have been transformed and ongoing the process of transformation? What about those of us who are seeking to live for our God? What do we wear as we serve him? What are the right clothes for us? Paul writes to the church in Colossae about this very subject. He writes to them to encourage them because there's a lot of people in Colossae who have recently given their life to Jesus. They've accepted the invitation. And he's encouraging them in this new life that they have, full of people who are new in faith. And so in response, Paul writes to them in Colossians 12. And he says this, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. I want you to understand the word chose in your head. Underline the word chose. God chose you to be the holy people he loves. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. You So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. God's chosen nation were invited by him, but they refused to come. They rejected him and his son. So now we have been invited. We have been chosen to be his holy people, his holy nation, and sent into the world to share his invitation. And just as we have received and accepted our clothes of salvation, now we must wear clothes that draw people in as we extend the invitation of our King. We must wear clothes that represent the God that we follow, that show other people who he is and what he is like. We must clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy. The NRV uses the term compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. We must be people who show compassion to both each other and to those in our world. We must be tender of heart. Always let mercy be at the forefront of everything we do. We must be kind. Clothe yourself in kindness. Kind in action and word. Be the kind friend. Those people would know that they can rely on us. They would see in us someone they can trust to show them consideration and respect. We must be people who clothe ourselves with humility. Peter also writes about this. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Being humble means that we no longer seek our interests, but we seek to serve God first and meet the needs of others. In the same way, if we're going to show this mercy and humility, we must also be gentle. Wearing gentleness means that we're not reacting harshly to people. We don't respond quickly. We don't cast judgment. We're careful with our words. We're careful with the way that we present ourselves, inviting them in. When we wear gentleness, it should be plain to see. People can see that we are empathetic, that we listen, that we will stand with them. And to do that means we must wear patience, probably the hardest one of all. Both as a father and someone who works with young people, sometimes wearing patience is really difficult. When you tell them what to do and then they don't do it and then they get hurt, you're like, oh my goodness, why didn't you listen to me in the first place? I told you so. Why didn't you listen? 
None of those phrases are kind or gentle or tender or patient. I work with young people at school and I warn them because they tell me everything. Some of the things the kids have told me you wouldn't believe. And I warn them and then they make the mistake and then they get hurt. I do not say to them, I told you so. I say, come and tell me your story. Patience. Have to be patient with them. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to be gentle. It's hard to be tender. And that is why we must make a daily choice to put on the right clothes. We have to choose every day. Paul continues in Colossians. He encouraged us to what? Make allowance for each other's faults. We know that those we do life with have faults. Please don't look to the person next to you when I say that. Save lots of conflict later on. It's okay. We know that we have faults because we know we have faults ourselves. We understand our faults. What does Paul say? He says, make allowance for them. What does that mean? It means that we predetermine, we plan for what it will cost us to do life with this person. We plan ahead of time. We make allowance. And of course, Paul finishes with his most prized attribute, his favorite attribute. Of all the things we're meant to clothe ourselves with, the most important is love. Love, of course. Always responding, always thinking, always speaking, always choosing from a basis of love. Jesus himself said, they will know you by your what? Your love for each other. Because we know from Paul that love is patient and it is kind. It is never boastful. It's never proud. Love doesn't keep any record of wrongs. Love never demands its own way. But instead, love never gives up. Love is always hopeful. Love always endures. This is the code that we are urged to put on. As we are transformed by grace, this is what we are to wear, to show to God's invited guests, anyone and everyone. Showing the world what love truly is. So I guess there's one final question. And it stems from Jesus' final words of the parable. Jesus ends the parable by saying, many are called, but few are chosen. So the invitation is for anyone and everyone, but only a few will truly take it. For those of us who accept God's invitation, who take his free gift with both hands, as we read in Colossians 3, we are chosen. We have been chosen to be his holy people, those who are set apart. The question for each of us is, will you answer the call? Will you accept the fact that you are chosen? Will you respond to the call? Will you realize that you are called and chosen? You individually and us as a church, we are called and chosen. You have been invited, not just into God's wedding hall, but invited to be transformed, to become one of God's chosen people, called and chosen if you take the offer of new clothes and a full life. Remember Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that I have life and have it to the full. That is what you're invited to, a full life, a life of wholeness, of completeness. It's only living that life can we reveal the love of God to this world. I want to finish with a passage from 2 Thessalonians 2.14. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has called each of us to salvation, invited us in, given us those clothes of salvation, so now we can share. That is to be chosen 
to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. Share in the celebration planned by God the Father where the Son is honored and brings everyone and everyone who accepts into relationship with their Creator. That is why Jesus came. This is the message of Jesus. All throughout the book of John, as we've been seeing, this is his message. This parable is the very purpose of that public ministry we've been reading about, we've been studying and listening to, that all would come to him. Because in him we see God, and in him is salvation. Jesus came to declare it was time. The feast was ready. So all who follow him can reach our world with the same invitation. Showing anyone and everyone the love of God who saves. This is the life that Jesus meant when he said he came to give us life. Life to the full. A life spent extending God's invitation to people. God offers us life to the full in Jesus. And you have been invited. Will you accept the invitation to be called and chosen? I ask you to stand this morning. I ask musicians to come as well. I'm going to pray this morning for two groups of people. And first, we're going to pray for those who may not have yet accepted the invitation of Jesus. They haven't accepted the invitation that God has sent out. Who do not call Jesus their Lord and Savior. So we're going to pray for them. Maybe that's you. I don't know. Maybe watching at home, that's you. Maybe you've been invited this morning, either willingly or belligerently. I don't know. Maybe you're here this morning invited against your will. You came because someone bugged you enough to you finally came along. I don't know. I don't know your story. But the thing is that God has invited you. You're not here by accident. You're here on purpose because God invited you in. And as every eye is closed and every head is bowed, we're going to pray for those. Lord, I lift up those this morning who have not accepted the invitation yet, who have not come and put in the new clothes of salvation. Whether here today in this building or whether watching at home and watching in the future as well. If you have never given your life to God, if you've never accepted the invitation, there is no better time than now. You don't have to say fancy words or do any fancy things. All you have to do is do a couple of things. First, you have to recognize that you're living life without God. That your sin, that the life that you've been living, is full of ungodly things. It's full of sin. That sin separates you from God. The first thing is to acknowledge that you have sin in your life. And the second thing to do is recognize that Jesus is God's Son. And that Jesus went to the cross to die. To die to make pay the price for that sin. Once and for all. Take the consequences of sin on his own shoulders on the cross. And if you would ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, he will come in. And he will give you new clothes. New clothes of salvation. He will give you grace. And that grace is transformation. So I invite you to come. Simply ask God. God, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, be Lord of my life. And if you do that, you can start a journey of transformational grace where God can shape you and use you for his glory and give you a life that is full and complete and whole. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us. Every single person in this place, every single person watching at home has already accepted your invitation who has accepted your grace, who has been transformed. I pray, Lord, for every one of us, myself included, 
that we would understand that every day we have to choose to wear the right clothes. Every day we have to choose tender-hearted mercy and kindness and patience and gentleness, making allowance for others, and most importantly, wearing love. Making sure that everything we do and say and think and choose is from a basis of love. Help every single person here realize that they have been sent. You have sent them out, God, into their places of influence, whether it be their workplace or their school or their home or their neighborhood, their social groups, their sport, whatever it is. You are sending them out. And if they wear the right clothes, if they are tenderhearted, if they are kind, if they are patient with people, if they are loving to people, if they show they make allowance for people, then they are revealing your love to them. They're revealing the nature of God. They're showing the world who you are. That's extending the invitation. The thing is, we can't just go out. We can't just go out and say, believe in Jesus. Because people don't care what we have to say until they know how much we care. So we have to build relationships. Lord, I pray every single person here would now focus. They would step out of this building today and they would see, where can I build relationships? Where are the people in my life who need love, who need patience, who need kindness, who need mercy, who need gentleness? Where are those people? Send me to those people so I can display the love of them. So I can show them how much you love them. And then when they know, when they see God through me, then I can invite them and say, I'm like this. I live this way because Jesus died for me. Jesus made me new. Jesus gave me new clothes of salvation. And we extend the invitation to them. Lord, bless us. Be with us. Help us to always choose from a basis of love. Let us go out from this place to speak words of encouragement, words of kindness and mercy, words that build people up. Let us do things for people. Reach into their life and help them. Let us do practical things. Let us step forward from this place, realizing that we are the ones who have been sent. Realizing that you invited us in, not just to accept the invitation of grace, but to live a life that is full. You invited us in to live a life that is whole and complete. Whole and complete. A life that is full. Where you can use us, shine through us, and show people that they're invited. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting us into this life. Thank you we can share in this life with you. Let us never take our salvation for granted. Let us never take our grace for granted. But instead, let's step out of this place, God, willing to extend the invitation to others. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us. Thank you that you saved us. Thank you, you sent you Jesus to die. Send Jesus to die for us. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness, for your gentleness, for your patience, and for your love. Thank you, church. I'm so glad you came with us today.
so that we can do this together. We can eat at the table together in celebration. Thank you for joining us at home. I encourage you. If you gave your life to Jesus this morning, reach out to us. Contact us. And I encourage you to go out from where you are into your spheres of influence and extend the invitation. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.